This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The Lord be with you all. Welcome wherever you join us from to Radio Church. My name is Jordan Redding, I'm the minister at Knox Church in the centre of town, as well as a chaplain at the University of Otago. Thank you for tuning in today. Our call to worship is actually taken from a hymn uh, written by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was famous for writing his theology uh, at the time that Hitler came to power. In the end, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned in one of the concentration camps and there executed. While he was in the concentration camp, he penned this hymn. And there is an English translation which is very singable, but you do lose something in the translation. So to call us to worship this morning, I'm going to read Bonhoeffer's original German and then provide the English translation. And so we gather. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Gott geht zu allen Menschen in ihrer Not, sättigt dein Leib und die Seele mit seinem Brot, stirbt für Christen und Heiden den Kreuzes Tod und vergibt ihnen beiden. God turns to all people in their need, satisfies body and soul with his bread, dies his death on the cross for Christian and non-Christian alike, and forgives them both. We pray. We turn to you, O Christ, in our need, to rest in the shelter of your cross and to find in you one who knows our struggles, one who carries our burdens and our guilt, one who meets us in our fear and our grief, and there, in the midst of it all, declares peace and forgiveness. It is finished. And in the shadow of your cross, we turn to you in your need, O Christ, crucified and rejected one, who suffers for us and with us, In you we see all who are poor in body and soul, all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all who mourn and suffer, all who seek shelter and peace. We are mindful especially today of those who continue to suffer in Auckland following the floods. Break our heart for you, suffering God. May we put ourselves at the mercy of your Spirit, called out to share in your cross-shaped love for the world. May we be a blessing as we are blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have some music for you now. I've found uh, a rendition of Fakari Amai, the well-known wire set to the tune of How Great Thou Art, and this version is performed by Teeks and Holly Smith. Vakarya mai Tori peka kia Tia ho mai Iroh 
Welcome back to Radio Church. That was Fakaria Mai by Teeks and Holly Smith. A reflection. When I uh, first wrote uh, these words, actually, it was a few weeks ago, and uh, if you can remember back that far, Chris Hipkins had just been sworn in as Prime Minister following the shock resignation of Jacinda Ardern. And, uh, well, it was surely a baptism by fire for him, wasn't it, Uh, having to respond to the floods in Auckland. The change of power all happened so quickly, didn't it? And I don't know about you, but I've certainly seen no shortage of political commentary with people already evaluating Ardern's legacy and what her government achieved or failed to achieve. You might have read the piece by Morgan Godfrey, who's an an academic here at Otago University. He got in early with a bold claim that Ardern is New Zealand's most important post-war prime minister for the way she navigated a series of major crises, from the terrorist attack in Christchurch uh, to the White Island eruption, climate change, and, of course, uh, our old arch-nemesis, COVID-19. Now, whether or not uh, Godfrey's claim is justified is, of course, a matter of debate. It's hard to deny, though, the euphoria that has surrounded Ardern, both domestically and perhaps even more so internationally. Her magnetic presence, her charismatic personality and relentless optimism. At times, the hope placed in her reached messianic proportions. Quite literally, uh, one item of Ardern merch uh, was a hoodie imprinted with WWJD, Uh, Not what would Jesus do, as the pop Christian slogan of the early 2000s went, uh, but what would Jacinda do? And we've seen what Ardern managed to do. Depending on who you read, there were significant achievements or significant failures. And for many, it was a mix of both. What seems to be clear is that Ardern and her government, surprisingly, failed to live up to the messianic expectations we placed on them. They have a social license to push through massive change, we said. The pandemic is the opportunity for a systems reset, we said. But at the end of five and a half years, that utopian vision of a structural reset that addresses the deep problems of our society remains exactly that, a utopian vision. In fact, for me, it's summed up in Ardern's own words in her resignation announcement. If you can remember, she said these uh, potent words, I am human. Politicians are human. And actually, for me and for many others, judging by the commentary I've read, it's precisely that humanity that Ardern will be most remembered for. Her resignation was greeted with a mix of sadness and respect that she knew when to step back. It comes in the context of a constant tsunami of vitriol and misogynistic abuse directed to her online. Death threats are becoming a norm for politicians, and especially so for prominent women and people of colour. Whatever our political leanings... I think we can all agree that such vitriol is cause for lament and confession as a society. Lord, have mercy 
Christ, have mercy. Ardern's tearful confession that she is vulnerably and fallibly human was a rare moment of raw honesty in politics, a moment when the facade was dropped and we saw behind the veil. For all the claims that politicians make that they have the answers to society's woes, they are but vulnerably and fallibly human, as we all are. Ironically for me, Ardern's vulnerability at that moment is the most messianic she's been. At least it seems to resonate with the sentiment of the Beatitudes. Have a read of the Beatitudes if you have your Bibles with you. Matthew chapter 5, those famous phrases, that famous beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who mourn, Blessed are those who are persecuted and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Surely there was something of Ardern's heartache that resonates with these words. The Beatitudes are some of the most well-known words of Jesus the Messiah. They mark the beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount, as I said. And that discourse, that sermon, stretches over three whole chapters in Matthew. If you're looking for a kind of political manifesto from Jesus, this is it. This is Matthew's version of Jesus laying out his kingdom ethics. Often it's been called a catechism, a series of instructions of what life in God's new society looks like. And it begins radically with these blessings. Blessed are you who are fallibly and vulnerably human. Tragically, though, the radical acceptance of the Beatitudes has too often been muted by what follows in the sermon. If you have time, read through chapters 6 and 7 and the rest of chapter 5. Often this uh, political manifesto has been used as a moral code which sets the church apart. The church is the community that seeks to live according to these high morals, And that reputation lingers to this day. Christians are stereotypically painted as the moral police. And while back in the days of a Christendom society, that moral code carried social and political weight, today it's more often a reason for mockery and disdain as the moral high ground of the church has been eroded by successive scandals. As far as political manifestos go, The Sermon on the Mount is undoubtedly impressive. It's had a profound effect on Western ethics and morality. But it does raise the question, well, what makes this political manifesto any different to any other vision for social and political change, whether put forward by a political party, another religion, or some other group? As grand as the vision may be, surely the church actually undermines it in its fallibility and vulnerability. The church has altogether failed to live up to the vision, to realize heaven on earth, to demonstrate a morally superior or more enlightened community. Anyone who's belonged to a church for five minutes will know uh, it's not necessarily a morally superior place at all. It turns out Christians too are human 
For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I introduced earlier, this is precisely the point. Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and in it he directs our attention to the Beatitudes. For him, the church is the church not because of anything it does per se, or because it's morally superior, or because it has something that the rest of the world doesn't, or even because it is anything special in itself. For Bonhoeffer, the clue to the Sermon on the Mount is its beginning, the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are poor, who mourn, who hunger and thirst, who are persecuted. Blessed are you. There's nothing that the community of disciples needs to be or do to earn this blessedness, in other words. The disciples are simply blessed in their poverty, in their lack, because of the one in whose presence they gather, Jesus the Messiah, who suffers and dies. Jesus is the blessed one the anointed one of God, who fulfills the Beatitudes in his life, his passion, and his death. If you read through the Beatitudes one by one, you can imagine Jesus as the subject of each of them. He is the one who is poor in spirit, who experiences God-abandonment in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is the one who weeps and the meek ones stripped of dignity before his accusers. Condemned unjustly, he is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Praying for forgiveness on the cross, he is the one who shows mercy to his persecutors. Pure in heart, he lives in faithfulness to the will of his heavenly Father, even to death on a cross. And through that death, he will be the peacemaker, bringing the cycle of violence to an end and declaring it is finished. The Beatitudes and the community of the Beatitudes, the church, points to the cross, to the crucified one whose company we keep. For Bonhoeffer, this is the key. The church is a cross-shaped community, a living witness to the humanity and poverty of God revealed in Christ. You and I, we're called to share in Christ's poverty, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world which God loves, the church's blessedness, which comes from God meeting us in our weakness, is not something we alone possess. Rather, the church witnesses to the blessedness of the whole world for whom Christ died and whom God loves. You know, uh, there are actually two versions of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Luke also uh, gives his recounting of the sermon, but for him, the sermon is the Sermon on the Plain, on the flat place. It's only Matthew that situates it on a mountain, And so in Matthew's version, the disciples join Christ on the mountain in the sight of all the people. For Matthew, that mountain echoes that other mountain, Golgotha, where Christ will one day be crucified in the sight of the people. And so it is the calling of the church to join Jesus there 
resting in the shadow of the cross and taking up our own for the sake of the world. It seems to me that actually the Beatitudes are a really timely reading as we oversee a change in new Prime Minister uh, and also as we begin to turn our attention to the election later this year. As political promises begin to uh, abound, we are, I think, invited to keep in mind Ardern's closing confession, I am human, and uh, to give our resounding amen to that confession. It's a guard against false hopes and messianic expectations being placed on this or that politician or political party. At the end of the day, we are all human. And yet, it's also a guard against despair that the status quo will never change. Because the hope of the Beatitudes, the promise behind them, is that God is human as well, blessing us in our weakness, meeting us in Christ in the midst of our suffering, and blessing us in it. There's a promise that in this cross-shaped love, there is life, an invitation to take up our cross and follow, confessing as we go, we are human and we are blessed. Thanks be to God. Well, as a way of uh, bringing this time to a close, I've got another short musical piece for you. Uh, which picks up that theme of blessing. It is a blessing, one of the most ancient blessings of the church, the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing, the ironic blessing from the book of Numbers. This uh, version has been written by John Rutter, and uh, it's called The Lord Bless You and Keep You. I hope you enjoy it.
Well, that was The Lord Bless You and Keep You by John Rutter. And you have been listening to Radio Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Jordan Redding, and it's been a pleasure to officiate this time together. A blessing as we go about our day. Te atawhai o tau tātou a riki a ihu karaiti, me te aroha o te ātua, me te whiwhinga tahitanga ki te wairu a tapu. Ake, ake, ake. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.